you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. As we do each and every Tuesday, it's Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg as we talk about relationship and marriage issues as they relate to the workplace. But and we'll just we always lay this out like this. Everything that happens at home impacts your life. And everything that impacts your life impacts your work. And if it's impacting your work, what well, should be talked about on this show? And so on Tuesdays, since the beginning of of I work for him. We've always taken a break from talking about specifically workplace ministry issues and opportunities and taking a step back and looking at one of the things that's driven the culture away from uh, really from Christ is the fact that the, mar- the family has been deteriorating. Over the last 50 years, our lifetime, the family has gone from being the really the strength, the backbone of our society to today where, you know, 50% of kids live with a single parent and it's not the way God intended. So today, today we're going to tackle a pretty tough topic. Now, Martha, these topics as, as we go through them are all based on what? Well, they're based on our marriage mentoring program, which comes from the ministry Dare to be Different out of Iowa and the whole con- online at dare to be different.com. That's right. And the whole concept behind this marriage mentoring program is a survey that a couple takes that helps them to understand different areas of their life that they're in agreement over or they don't see eye to eye on. And it doesn't mean they're arguing about it. They're just looking at them from different perspectives. 
But through the mentoring program, they learn how to have conversations about those disagreements and how to come together and make agreements in those areas, whether it be parenting or their faith or their in-laws or um, their money. And today's topic is one of those items. And today's topic? Wow. Really? Let me just read you the scripture verse first. <laughs> Hebrews thirteen four says this, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God's not going to just judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God looks at sin. He doesn't rank sin. He just looks at our lives and says, listen, you got a sin issue. Let me take care of that for you. I'm going to send my son. He's going to die for your sin. Put your trust in him. And that'll take care of the sin. And that's that's the issue. That That's the gospel. The good news is there's hope. The bad news is a lot of us live without hope. And, and we got a lot of friends that are suffering from what we're going to talk about today. Today we're talking about cohabitation and how it impacts our relationships today and how it impacts our marriages in the future. That's right. And one of the things that I always think about when we're talking about this is the fact that this is a segment of the survey that not with every couple do we have to talk about it with. Although because, I think we probably should because there's been many couples that are married and we're doing it that had cohabitated before. We probably ought to bring up some of these issues. That's probably true. But um, these are specifically um, designed to talk about somebody who is currently cohabitating and maybe contemplating marriage with that person. So that's a little bit of an interesting um, perspective, but the whole idea is that this is all about figuring out how to have the strongest marriage possible and do it in a godly way. And so these are think topics that we bring together to get them on the same page and look at it from God's point of view. You know, Martha, I, I imagine a lot of our listeners today are thinking, wait a minute, cohabitation, seriously, that's so 70s. Don't even worry about it. Shacking up, living in sin. People don't even, they don't even think about it. It's just part of what happens today. And, and and we're here to kind of debunk some of the lies about cohabitation because a lot of, I mean, honestly, if you're in your 20s or your 30s and you're listening today, you honestly don't think that there's anything wrong with it for the most part. Not everyone, but society as a whole, typically the 20 and the 30-year-olds are like, yeah, well, you live together to see whether you actually are compatible enough so you can get married. Yeah. And that, that of course, want to make sure that we're clear that that's not the biblical perspective, but that's the conversation that we're having today is about um, the fact that so many people just don't even think about it as being anything but the norm. Well, and and understand this too. Martha and I talked about this before the show. We, We don't want this to come across as judgmental. We want to make sure that people's eyes are open to the impact of your decisions. And we all made, we have all made decisions that have long term deleterious effects. Ooh, big word. Deleterious. Five syllables. And it's Negative is what it really means. <laughs> Five syllables on a Tuesday, that's really a Friday word, isn't it? That's an extra bonus word. But we're, we're, we're trying to talk about just there's a lot of negative effects that go along with cohabitation. And it used to be that people, if they lived together, if they shacked up, they're living in sin, cohabitation, whatever you want to call it, that it was a short-term deal and the people got married and moved on in life. But today you see a lot of couples never getting married and they move from living with one person to moving in with another person, moving in with another person, and they perpetuate singlehood to the point where now they're in their 50s or their 60s and they're perpetually single and they don't have anybody to spend life with. So we want to talk about some of those issues today. Uh, it's, 
and it's not going to be one of those conversations we rant and rave because I'm just not in a rant and rave mood today. <laughs> and, and it's something that we just have seen the negative impacts, and we want to encourage you today to just make sure your eyes are open. You know, Martha, people think cohabitation is harmless. They think it's harmless. Well, you know, we'll just live together. And, and I think really the, the basics of the facts is God designed each one of us to have one marital relationship one sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And anytime we go outside of God's perfect design, there starts to be an impact on our lives. That's right. Um, Every decision that we make has consequences, whether they're good or bad. And um, there just are things that fall into that negative impact category when um, you are involved in cohabitation. So is it a legitimate reason to say, hey, we just want to make sure we were compatible before we committed to life together? Well, I think that's kind of a scary concept because that tells you right off of the bat that you're not committed, that this is just a trial. You know, I'm not really sure this is the relationship for me. Yeah. I mean, how can you not know whether you're compatible or not when you're spending every day together dating? I mean, if you're dating already, you already spent a lot of time together. Nobody needs to practice what goes on in the bedroom. I mean, and really that's Mm -hmm. when people move in together, it's so they can have all the free bedroom love that they want. But that's not what God designed it for. And so really it's just an excuse to to live outside the bounds of what marriage wants without, well, of what marriage is without any of the restrictions of marriage, like long-term commitment. And you may think in the short term that that's a great idea, but we've got all kinds of, uh, of friends. We have all kinds of people that we've met over the years of doing marriage mentoring where that kind of attitude towards a casual approach to relationships and and their sexual relationships has really had a negative impact. Yeah, and I think most of them that we've had good candid conversations with where they have where they're now growing in Christ and they really see the biblical perspective of it, I think most of them wish that they could have done things differently or if they would have chosen a different course because there is so much power in um you know, being um, obedient to the way that God has designed it. Well, here's the good news. You know, we all have sinned in our life, and, and the great news is our Heavenly Father loves us right where we're at. He wants us to move away from our sinful lives, but He can redeem and restore any part of our lives that's been damaged. Mm-hmm. And that's the good news. If you're already in a relationship where you're living with somebody and you know you shouldn't be, if you're, and, and again, don't expect your non-Christ-following friends to abide by biblical standards. Well, I'm ta- we're talking today to Christ followers. I mean, this is a good idea for anybody not to live together, whether you're a Christ follower or not, because the long-term impact is significant. Uh, but I want to—we're really talking about applying the biblical principles to your life, and, and you don't expect, you know, pre-Christians to act like a Christian. So, Martha, let's look at some of the long-term effects of cohabitation on on your marriage and on your own, on your life. So some of the things that happen inside when when people live together. Well, I think there's always um, an undertone of not complete commitment. So maybe that, that the side effect of that is that there's insecurities, maybe knowing that you don't really know if this relationship is permanent. Um, So there's a huge effect on your life there, not knowing that, you know, if you you may do something that may cause that other person to want to leave and they have the freedom to do that because they've not made that commitment. So I would think that the insecurities and um, all that goes along with that would 
would have a huge effect on your life. I think something that's really significant today, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this as we lead into another break, is that, you know, for a majority of cohabitating couples, a woman looks at cohabitation as a step towards marriage. And this is, I, I, I read a lot of articles on this, people that know what they're talking about, and we've also seen this. Women think differently than men. You're right. Really? That, that, I mean, that should just stop. That should about stop all the traffic at Tampa Bay with that statement right there. Women think differently than men. Women look at cohabitation as a step towards marriage, but men typically do not. They just look at it. Well, great, cool, uh, another conquest. Here we go. I mean, it, not all men think that way, and not all women think that way. But women look at relationships different than men do, and they're thinking, well, we live together, and then we'll get married, and. I think a lot of you women out there have realized that's not necessarily the case. So just as all those other topics that we talk about in the marriage mentoring program, if you if this is not something you've talked about, you have very different expectations. And um, that alone can be very unhealthy because you are not headed in the same direction. Yeah, it's, it's just important to recognize as, as we look at it, cohabitation, living together, shacking up, living in sin, whatever you want to call it. It has an impact on you. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, if you've had a lot of sexual relationships and with a lot of different people, it's going to impact your marriage. No question. But living together also starts to build in that, that just a little bit of that, well, I don't really go all in with my commitment. Everything that goes on in our lives impacts all of us. I don't know about you, but you know, if your leg gets blown off at home, still blown off at the office. If you're you're having marriage problems at home. Guess what? You're still having marriage problems in the office. And so we're talking today about a topic that, boy, I can't tell you I've ever heard a sermon about cohabitation, that people shouldn't be living together, shacking up, living in sin, doing whatever they want to call it. I'm not sure. I probably We've probably heard it as, point, as a point in right. a sermon. Um, but I think that the key thing to remind people, too, is uh, the perspective that we're coming from is talking with a couple that is looking to get married. Right. And so and, they're trying to look at the impact it's made. And they're trying to learn how to do this thing called marriage properly from a biblical perspective. So that's one of the things that um, we, if if a couple comes to the mentoring program and they want to go through it and they are cohabitating, this is the section that we talk about with them to get them to start to pray about their life and um, we're hoping that they're praying about their life in all the areas, budgeting, family, all of the other topics that are covered in the mentoring, but and and then also about cohabitating and where God wants them to be with that. So we're just going to go through some of the uh, the facts behind cohabitation and then just talk about some of the answers that we give people when they go through the survey, the, some of the discussions that we have about it. Because here here's some of the facts. Um, living together for uh, for people, you know, when, because there's not the real commitment when you're living together, uh, there's a lot of infidelity. Now you're saying, well, it doesn't matter because we're just living together. We're not married. Mm, really? It still matters because the woman's involved in that relationship because she thinks it's long term. And so it, it's not a light fact. So there's there's cheating going on. The economics of it. We have found that a lot of couples that have lived together when they do get married, have a hard time combining their economics. They, they because they're they're always the woman's always having to look out for her own because she's just living with this guy. It's not her husband, so she's having to watch out for her own finances. He's watching out for his own finances. And what I hear a lot from women is that they help their boyfriends out, but their boyfriends don't help them out a lot. And and then when they break up, 
You know, the woman tends to be hurt more social, socially and economically. Uh, there's a lot of single women and single w- womanhood with children. Because obviously if you're living with somebody and you're cohabitating for the reason why you're cohabitating in the first place, the children can be produced. And single parenthood. First of all, the, talk about the long-term impact on your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. I mean, single parenthood's tough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough. And kids of single parents... It's tough. Some of them end up awesome, but a lot of times they really long for the other parent. If, if they're living with mom, they, they long for their dad. And if they're living with their dad, they long for their mom because God designed children to grow up in a husband and wife, a male and female household. Yeah, it that even if they stay together, it's still technically like single parenting because they're not married. They're not a married nucleus making that family. So it just is, again, outside of the the design that God had. So again, encouraging people to really pray about it and say, God, what do you want for us? What are, where, what is my next step in my growth? And, and, and what am I doing in any area that we've been talking about um, that may be dishonoring? Well, the good news in all of this, as I said before at the beginning of the show, is that, you know, as we talk about cohabitating today, is that there's, you know, if you're a if you are a married couple and you both live together with somebody else before you met your current spouse, God can redeem and restore all of the mm-hmm. damage that we've done to ourselves, regardless of what it was. Look at Paul the apostle was a murderer, a super ridiculous religious dude who was a murderer. Um, you know, it just goes on and on and on. David, uh, King David, was a murderer, an adulterer, and he was you know he had slaughtered hundreds of people on the battlefield. I mean, it just. God can restore all of that. So don't look at, don't feel judged by this. Just recognize here's the biggest thing we find that couples don't do is they, they get together and they pretend that their past won't impact them. Mm. And that's just plain, let's just call it what it is, stupid. Mm-hmm. Because what you do in your past impacts you. And so a lot of couples haven't dealt with the damage that happened from broken relationships prior to uh, them. We're actually dealing with a lot of couples that grew up in the church who had sex before they got married, who still feel very guilty about it because they knew that they went against what God desired for them, but they never talked about it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're talking about. Deal with these issues so they can be forgiven and you move on. But if you don't ever forgive yourself, it really hurts your marriage. It does. And, uh, you know, another thing that we really um, see, and you've actually pulled some articles that we have here, too, is just the the rate of divorce in people that cohabitate. And that's a huge long-term effect. And it doesn't mean that it's a given, but it's a, it's a proven fact that there is a higher rate of divorce on people that cohabitated in, instead of just waiting until they were married to their spouse and had that commitment um, so just trying to to um, outweigh those odds and to not be in that um, predicament. And I actually found another article that kind of countered that first article that said hmm. that the rate of divorce was higher amongst people cohabitating. Here's the reason why it's no longer that way, because hmm. people just don't get married. They never do get married. They never do get married. So there's this, no divorce. The first study was done in the 90s where people lived together and then they got married. Now... People just keep living together and they move on to the next person, live together. You know, well, you know, look at the villages. 
The village is, well, people it, are just living together still, and they're in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And, you know, that reminds me of that book that we really were glad that we got our hands on, that Shanti Feldman Ooh, wrote. that was a good book. What was and that called again? It, um, the Happy News About Marriage or something like The Good News About Marriages. And one of the things that goes along with the same statistic was the fact that um, there was a misnomer, a misquoted um statistic out there that was saying that the Christian, the rate of Christian couples getting divorced was higher than those of non-believers. And the fact of the matter is is that they put it back to this point that more people were cohabitating, so they weren't actually getting married and then divorced. They were just breaking up. So that didn't become a part of the statistic. So it number one, divorce was never at 50% in the church. Um, but the other part of that is, is it was not as high as um, non-believing couples because they just never got married. Right. And the book is called The Good News About Marriage. And the woman who the author this basically did eight years of research, Shanti Feldhahn. Yeah. F-E-L-D-H-A-H-N. A great book full of great statistics and really just debunking the, hey, 50 percent of married couples get divorced. Well, it's not really that number. And let me just say that that was actually a really good book to read. It wasn't just a bunch of statistics. She's actually got a great sense of humor, and she has a great passion for marriage. And so this came out of her desire to really find the facts. So it lists a lot of statistics, but in a way that um, you or I you know, could understand it <laughs> without graphs and all that. <laughs> she made it simple for guys like me. Because <laughs> really, that's, I, I like simple. Give me the point. Yep. All right, so some of the questions on the survey. Um, here, here's one of them. And basically, we ask questions, or they're survey questions, where they either agree or disagree um, from these questions. So like one of them is, Sometimes I feel that getting married will make me feel confined and restricted. Mm. Agree or disagree. And a, a lot of times, if people have been in a lot of these, you know, non-committal relationships, they're just really fearful of commitment because they've probably been burned once. I mean, a lot of times people have been burned and, and they're like afraid to commit. Well, and there's people that think that freedom, whatever that might mean, freedom. is... Is all that they want in life, and they think, "Well, I'm, I, I have to come home every night, and I can't do this, and I can't do that." You know, th- those are maybe just excuses. I can't be self-centered. I can't think just all about myself. I have to look out for other people. Right. When in reality, that's when you, the best part. When you get married, that's that's what you want your focus. Well, to Well, people have that same attitude, Martha, towards the law. They think, "Well, God just put all these rules and regulations mm-hmm. out there in order to make our lives miserable." No, He did it so we could live life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And God designed marriage so that you could live life to the fullest because the best part of life is living it together with somebody. God designed it that way. He did designed us to be perfectly compatible. If you look at the way we fit together, it's designed that way. And we think differently and we can create children. And it's amazing. It takes work, but any relationship takes work. But God designed it as good, but he had He had um, parameters around it in order to protect the, the oneness of marriage, in order to protect the goodness of it. And we keep operating outside of it. And we wonder why there's negative effects. Well, it's much like parenting or anything else where it's like sometimes when you're told no, that's what you, you know, you, you as a child, you're said, you're, you're told don't go in the backyard. Well, what 
consumes your mind, but going in the backyard. I'm going, I'm going right now. I'm going to the backyard. Don't you know, cross so, the road. But what see, it? that's a very selfish approach. More like, ah, oh, what's it? What's out there that I'm missing? Why can't I go? Blah blah blah. And instead of it being selfless. And when we take ourselves out of it and say, okay, there's a there's a good reason for it. That's why a lot of the training I do at work, I do from an educational standpoint. I don't just say, don't do this. I tell them why. And if my parents would have said to me, don't go in the backyard because there is a loose raccoon back there and it has rabies. Okay, I am not going to go in that backyard. <laughs> It'd be better if they said rabid squirrel because you're okay. afraid of rodents. Okay, but if they just said, don't go in the backyard because we've got a surprise party that's going to happen, you know, of course, then you want to. Back to talking about cohabitation, shacking up, living in sin, all that kind of stuff, Martha. Let's talk about the cruise because we've got some spots left, although it's filling up. We've been getting a new person every two or three days signing up for the cruise. Let's talk about the cruise. Okay, let's talk about it. Why do we even do this? Why do we do a cruise your way to a better marriage retreat every year? Well, we have found that um, there are not a lot of opportunities that people are taking advantage of where they're getting away and investing in their marriage, investing in their relationship with their spouse. And through trial and error, we have come up with um, a, a venue that works really well, and that's a cruise because you get away you really get an opportunity to disconnect, and it's something you really are looking forward to because who doesn't look forward to getting on a cruise ship and having your meals all made for you and served to you? And your bed is made. Your bed is made, and you get a beautiful little towel animal on your bed when Which you come back for dinner. Weird. It's just, you know what, just those little things that um, spoil you that make you just feel like you're on a really special place, which you are. Well, you are. Yes. So we do this cruise so that couples can um, have something that they look forward to where they're going to invest in their marriage, grow closer to each other, make some new friends, and do it all in a way that um, just allows them to um, learn what the Lord has for them to to know to improve their marriages and make them stronger. So it's February 18th through the 22nd, 2016. We leave the Tampa Bay port at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. We get to the ship around noon, so you can still work half a day. Get on the ship, relax. We get our first get-together sometime around 5 o'clock just for a meet-and-greet. We have dinner together every night about 8.30. Uh, two days at sea, those are the days we really focus heavily on strengthening our marriages, and the day on Cozumel is amazing. Amazing. So many things to do. Snork. Well, I don't even need to tell you. Just unbelievable. But the whole idea you get from Thursday afternoon to Monday morning, no cell phones, no Internet, no television, no work, all just being able to focus on your marriage. It's awesome. It is. Did I say no kids? Uh, Probably. Okay. So if you have kids, you wouldn't have them with you. That's right. Because it's a marriage retreat. That'd be weird. So we are just really... Praying that God brings just the right couples to join us on this. And this year, um, Laura Petherbridge, who is an author and a speaker about being a stepmom, is coming along with us. And we're going to have breakout sessions for um, step families, step parenting, blended families. And also, she's got a very unique perspective because what's the opposite of being a step family is how to avoid ever getting in a position of being a step. So making this first marriage last, or if it's your second marriage, doing it in a way that just brings you closer together and helps you to avoid the pitfalls. Right, because she's she's, seen all the couples make those mistakes. She has. So it's kind of that reverse learning of here's things I've seen. How are we going to avoid them? 
Right. So we come, love that. Go out to the iWorkForHim.com website, iWorkTheNumberForHim.com. Click on the Cruise tab. Find out all the details you want and need. And if you need, have any other questions for us, you can always email us, jim at iWorkForHim.com or martha at iWorkForHim.com. All right, I promise before the break, we get to the statement that this is a couple a question we ask couples who are going through mentoring uh, in order to prepare to get married, um, and they have been cohabitating in the past, whether it's with their current getting ready to be married spouse or in the past past. And so this question is, I feel that because we live together now, we will have less conflict when we're married. Mm-hmm. And here's the reality of that one. It's just totally a bold-faced lie. Why? Because you're not committed to each other, so you're not real. You're not that real. So a lot of times you don't deal with stuff because you figure, what's the matter? We're just living together. There's no real commitment, so we never. there's no confrontation. There, well, there may be confrontation, but it's... You don't have the same levels. People aren't real with each other. Certainly not in the first several months. And, and so you're like, well, it's just going to be like a honeymoon. Well, I'm telling you, honeymoons aren't perfect either. But it is, it's not true. You're, you don't have less conflict because you live together ahead of time. Because most people just avoid dealing with issues that drove them crazy. Well, and even if that's, if it's not avoidance, I mean, that really, there's nothing that's going to make you have less conflict later because of something you're doing now, other than things that are going to just strengthen up your, your relationship and that you're working on together. So, um, you know, just the concept of, well, we can get some of that conflict out of the way now. How, how is that different? It really, it really just doesn't make sense. You know, one of the other questions on the survey. I feel our commitment after marriage is no different than our commitment to each other when we decided to live together. And, and Eric, I could, I, Martha and I can tell you that from dealing with couples who we have gone through mentoring with them when they have lived together and then they get married. And it is different. It is different. The, you know, what's amazing is coming out of the lips of the husbands or the wives, you're like, it's different. Because we really did it. We really committed. It's it's different. I look at my spouse differently than I did before. It, 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 it makes a big difference. There is the commitment of marriage is a covenant before God, and it makes a difference. Well, and I think for people that really focus on the ceremony of the marriage and understanding the vows that are made, it is a huge commitment. And like you said, a covenant and... I don't think any, I've never heard of anybody doing anything similar to that in order to move in together. In fact, a lot of times you, uh, you get the impression that it's just on a whim or a, a quick decision that they're going to, that they're going to move in with each other. And a marriage, one of the good things about our culture is that they, um, a lot of times there's a lot of time involved in preparing for a wedding ceremony. That's like saying <laughs> it takes road construction a long time to happen here in Tampa Bay. <laughs> well, depending on the couple, you know, it could be anywhere from uh, 77 days to That's what our son uh, did. 177 days or, or 377 days. We took 13 days. months. We did, which we did, which was a long time. Your poor mother. I know she was very patient. I I added a lot of things to our agenda. In I love that months. question you asked your mom. <laughs> 
I said, I said, why, why aren't you as excited as I am all the time? And she said, honey, it's a long time <laughs> to be engaged. So yeah, is that what she said? Something, that's something like, that. like that. She said, you're I didn't just understand that. So. No, honey, that's yeah. your wedding. I have a life to do. Okay. <laughs> you mean the whole 13 months didn't revolve around our wedding? Right. I should have, oh, of life, course. Life goes on. Keep in mind that your mother had only gotten done with the wedding just shortly before that. So, yes. all right. I feel... I sometimes feel sex is the only thing that keeps us together when we're living together. Mm. And, and and that's here's, – here's the deal. Marriage is not all about the sexual relationship. It's about the entire relationship. It's all part and parcel of the whole deal. It's the way God designed it. He designed it perfectly. And when we operate outside of it, it destroys the parts that were supposed to be really good. And sex is supposed to be one of those bonding things. Permanently bonding a husband and a wife. But when you've bonded with several other people before you got to the marriage bed, there's some real restoration that needs to be done by the Holy Spirit in your life in order for that bonding to really occur. There's some real there's some real stuff that has to be dealt with. And that you know, in today's world, a lot of couples have had a lot of partners before they get married and they don't really deal with it very much. Yeah, and and the danger of um being close intimately and not even really knowing each other or having things in common. I think one of the biggest blessings for you or I was before we ever dated, we were really good friends. And so we really knew each other. I think other. you just needed me for my car. Well, okay, you were a good chauffeur as well <laughs> to get me places. But the but we were. We knew a lot about each other and we knew how to in enjoy being together and we liked doing things together so that when I still like doing stuff with oh, you. Oh yeah. But that wasn't so the intimacy wasn't ever a part the original part of our relationship. And I think in a lot of people they jump right to the intimacy and they don't even get to know each other. And that's you yeah, know what once can the happen sex where you starts think people stop that. talking. It can it can be that way. And so really just looking back and saying, you know, that your foundation of your relationship needs to be a spiritual one and knowing each other as human beings and, and what your interests and, and all of those things are and having that in common. It is, you know, one of those things that, you know, love can be blind and, and it gets to be really blind when you get physical with each other. And you want to make sure if you're going to spend your life with somebody, you really get to know them. It should be like uh, uh, Perry Mason. Ask all the questions. Dig deep. Hmm. I mean, on the internet, you just type somebody's name and you can find all kinds of stuff about them. <laughs> all right. So one of the other questions that gets asked um, I, I had it right here in front of me. Uh, okay. Due to our family's disapproval of us living together, we decided to get married. Mm. That is the number one stupid reason to get married. Don't get married because other people disapprove of you living together. How about just don't live together? Or if you're already living together, don't get married just because of that. Get married because you want to commit your life to the rest to this person. That's what marriage is all about. In fact, maybe Martha, that's what we should talk about. What is marriage for? Why did God design marriage? Mm, because two are better than one. Two are better than one, and then a strand of three cords is not easily broken. Yes. And God would be that central strand. Yes. I mean, marriage was designed for companionship. Mar- I mean, Eve was designed for Adam to be that perfect helpmate along his side. It Really, partner, not slave, partner. Mm-hmm. God designed Eve perfectly to meet the needs of Adam, and Adam was designed perfectly to meet the needs of of Eve. Eve was designed as a nurturer, Adam as a provider, protector, and they worked together to create a family. That's how our race, I don't know if you guys knew that, but the human race is perpetuated through marriage. Mm-hmm. And most societies around the world, except for ours and some European nations, 
really hold marriage in a very high standard, even in, in countries where marriage is arranged. People don't get to choose. People still hold marriage in a very high esteem. Marriage was designed by God to fill, I mean, to really fulfill the kingdom uh, goal of filling this country or filling this world and subduing nature. But really, it's also just awesome. I mean, we love being married. We do. And that, one of the things that I really wanted to um, say at this point was not to just take our word for it, but to really search. Yeah, get scrip- married tonight. See what it's like. <laughs> to, but to really search scripture and ask God to reveal what they're supposed to be doing in their own lives. And if this is something that um, has challenged you or challenged um, your situation is to really seek God's wisdom on it. Hear our hearts. We're talking about this today because if you're married and you live together or had sex with somebody or even with your spouse before you got married, we're talking about these things today because they impact your relationship today. And we just want you to deal with it because there's a lot of old hurt, a lot of old pain that gets brought into marriage, no matter where the marriage was done and how the marriage was done. And you need to get that stuff healed so your marriage can be awesome. That's right. I think that those are really good points. And and just being able to say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start today, just you know, assessing our marriage, assessing our relationship. If you're in a cohabitation relationship, are there things we never talk about that we need to talk That's about? That's right. That's right. But it's also really important that if you're out there and you're hearing this program and you've got friends that are living together and you really, you've always know it's a bad deal. And a lot of times you could, the people from the outside could see how bad of a deal it is for the people on the inside. But when you're inside the forest, sometimes you can't see the trees. Don't judge them. Just love them. That will give you an opportunity to minister to them and share your faith with them. But don't judge them. Just love them and and speak truth into them. And hopefully they'll break the, the binding controls that that relationship has on them. But be encouraged. Our Heavenly Father sent Jesus so that he could redeem and restore our lives to the way they were supposed to be. And that's part of redeeming and restoring the sin we were involved in before we got into marriage. We learned today that our faith definitely can impact our marriage that our actions can impact our marriage, that how we act before we get married definitely gets carried into our marriages, and that cohabitation can have a lot of negative effects. Just look at our society today. There's a lot of single parenthood. There's a lot of people living in poverty that have lived together and that those relationships broke up. Hold your standards high. Hold out for that one that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Hold out for the hope that there is a man for you that will love you the way you need to be loved, that there's a woman for you that will respect you the way you need to be respected, that you can come together and with God's help, you can live a lifetime with somebody. Wait and make that commitment. You will never regret waiting for the woman or the man that you're going to marry. Remember, Christ needs us as an ambassador in our workplace and our relationships also reflect on him. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business. But ultimately, ultimately, I I work work for him. him.